This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Deja Vu Part 2. The Mammoth and Bandits go the distance for the second year in a row. Patty and I will break it all down and get you set up for what will be an incredible Saturday night in Bandland. We'll give you some thumbs up, thumbs down, and an in-depth box bets. All that and more on OTCB. I am an Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, alongside Pat Gregoire. My name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Not so here in the third. Bandits on a run. Kluche in front. Nanako scores again. Smith. The cannon to the side. McKay over. Nanako scores. Bouncer fits the save. The legend grows for Matt Vince, who shuts down the Mammoth with an extra man and preserves a one-goal lead, heading into the dying moments of game one. Colorado rushes. Dunk! Oh, so close at the buzzer, but it won't go! Time runs out on the Mammoth. by Robert Hope. Shot saved Dylan Ward. Loose ball. Rebound another save Dylan Ward. This time off TN1 to Hogan Attico. Gibson. Shoot scores! Hit short side. Seven goal lead. 14-7. Colorado all over. Buffalo. As the Mammoths get four from Ryan Lee from Eli McLaughlin and three from Connor Robinson. They win at 16-10 here in game two to force the ultimate deciding game three. Well, we are just one game away, 60 full minutes, and we will have a 2023 National Lacrosse League champion. What a wild night it was in Denver, technically an afternoon in Denver for game two. Uh, a crazy game one that was back and forth ended up being a one goal game with Zed trying to dunk it home at the buzzer. Oh, here we are, Patty. Deja vu. Game three all over again between the Bandits and Mammoth for the second year in a row. And we got you covered right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. He is Pat Gregor. Find him at Pete Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. The show at OTCB underscore podcast, or you can find us on the Instas at OTCB Podcast. Patty, you are in Buffalo, lovely Buff Vegas, as it were, uh, getting ready for game three. How are the sights and sounds so far? Sights and sounds are great. It is hot as balls here in Buffalo. Um, You can, I haven't been, like, I'll be fully transparent. Uh, Cross the border, got into my room, checked in, um, and immediately hopped in here so we could record this pause i haven't had the the temperature the buzz of the city just yet and i don't know if we'd feel it tonight uh there is a bison's game tonight which i wouldn't be opposed to catching but (laughs) i think tomorrow uh when we go over to the arena there's going to be people already starting to tailgate people getting ready to go into the square and i think 
the buzz is real. I think there's a little bit of nervous energy around mm-hmm. Bandit Land right now. If you read some of the comments and tweets getting fired around, but would you have it any other way? Like, I mean, if you really are going to slay this dragon that is getting over the hump of the NLL championship, would you not want to rewrite the history that happened last year and make it go the distance, win in front of your fan base? Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that, you know, the bandits have been in like six finals over the last couple of decades and they've lost twice now to the Colorado Mammoth at home on their home floor. So there is definitely a lot of animosity and hatred between these two franchises and organizations. Obviously, going way back in time, obviously the rosters are different. Pat Coyle's still there and JT's still there and many of the same guys that were in the series last year. So there is a lot of familiarity. And you're right. That nervous energy is going to be there all the way through the first whistle and then all the way for another 60-plus minutes, however long it goes. Because from a player standpoint, from a fan standpoint, it's just – as it sits right now, it's all following the same story arc. This year, maybe it's the bandits that are a little more banged up than the mammoth. But, man, I I talked about it in game two. How do they handle adversity? And they didn't handle it very well in game two. They lost their composure. They lost their discipline. They allowed Colorado to extend that lead and kind of walk all over them and, and gain a lot of confidence heading into game three. So, ah. I have no idea how this is going to play out. Uh, we're going to try and break down as much of it as we can, but this is as much of a pick game as there's ever been. I think when, I mean, when you look at the, the cool bet odds, the bookmakers seem to think that it's maybe not as close uh, as we think we should, but I think history tells us that Colorado is the team that has got over this hump. They're battle-tested. They have that mental fortitude and then on the flip side, I mean, when you look at the team on paper, maybe Buffalo is the better team and maybe it's just a matter of time that they finally get this done and get this over the hill. But I agree. I could see this game going either way. I could totally see Colorado coming into this building, hopping out to a hot start and Buffalo not being able to figure out Dylan Warren. I also could see Buffalo hitting the ground running and a very similar script to what we saw in game one. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Heck, if this game went into overtime, wouldn't surprise me. No, not at all. It is going to be madness. And I think the biggest looming question is the status of Josh Byrne. And here we are recording Friday. Still no NLL injury report out. Still no update if Josh Byrne is going to be healthy and in the lineup for the Buffalo Bandits because that is a major caveat. Dane Smith has been unbelievable in these playoffs. 40 points in five games. He can only do so much, though. He really mm-hmm. does need the Cluches and the Buchanans and the Nanakokes, McKay, Fraser, McCulley, all these guys to jump on his back and kind of chip in because he's going to carry them. But they got to get three, four points a night in this game three if they're going to have any chance because Colorado just seems to be a little bit more balanced offensively now that they're fully healthy than compared to Buffalo without Dane Smith, or sorry, without Josh Byrne. They're just a different animal. Looking at the 
injury report, as as you say that, it did just come out. Oh. Uh, Josh Byrne listed as questionable. Yeah. Ty Thompson, questionable. Josh Sullivan, doubtful. Joey Capito, Brett uh, Draper, and Noel Levar out. So yeah. questionable. That really doesn't solve anything, to be quite honest. Uh, I, as far as I know. Better than doubtful, I'd say. That's true. Very true. When we talked to Steve Dietrich this week, he mentioned that it was more of a day-by-day approach. And he said if the game was to be played today, which was Wednesday, he's not ready to go. But we still have a few more more games or days to go before game day. So he didn't rule it out. He didn't also say he's ready to go. Wasn't really showing his cards. And I don't know if that was so much gamesmanship, but rather them really taking this day by day because let's be honest i I think you mentioned this on on nll flash this week with tino if burn was you know 75 percent ready to go i think he's going if it's a lower body injury you know if it's an ankle or a knee that it can be taped up like i think he's going like i think he's just gonna fight through that um indications say that it's something that he can't go through. So this is a matter of, uh, of he's either clear to go or he's going to be tell, told you cannot go tonight. Yeah, and as they lead up to tomorrow, game three, it'll have been 21 days, three weeks since Josh Byrne last played in that game two versus Toronto. So wow. he has had plenty of time to recoup and rest whatever the injury is, upper body, lower body, who knows? So if he can't go, that just speaks to the severity of what the injury actually is because it's three weeks removed from when it's happened. So it'll be very interesting. That's something obviously everyone's going to be keeping an eye on, keeping tabs on, and Bandit fans and lacrosse fans all over holding with anticipated breath, just waiting to see if he will be activated. Let's go back to game two. We never saw the runs that Colorado gave up in game one that we saw. You know, start of first quarter in game one, Buffalo jumped out to that 4 nothing lead. Dane was unstoppable. Colorado battles all the way back. They take the lead in the halftime, but they're short man to start. Dehoga scores right off the start of the third quarter. They score three more right after that. Another four-goal run. Pat Coyle and Andy McBride made the necessary adjustments whether it was just being better man-on-man, some uh, formations or some matchup assignments changes, but they never allowed Buffalo to score more than two in a row. And that was imperative in them keeping momentum on their side, keeping the balance of the game close, but also keeping the loud house on their side because there was always that buzz, there's always that anticipation that, Colorado can score next. They can get going here. They can start the run. And by doing that, they really limited what the Bandits were able to do offensively with their defensive schemes. And I'm very interested to see who makes the adjustments here in Game 3. What can John Tavares do with his offense to help those guys get clearer shots, better angles, in tight, freed up hands? Because what Pat Coyle and Anna McBride did defensively really nullified anything Buffalo was trying to do. And it frustrated them to the point of where we saw what eventually happened. I, I think, you know, with, with Buffalo, 
you of course you got to make adjustments. There's no denying that you can't go in with the same game plan, but at the same time, you also can't get away with what got you to this point and, and what is your bread and butter. And and that is being dangerous. Every time you touch the touch the floor, it doesn't matter who's touching the ball, but I think it's evidently clear that, you know, those outside shots aren't sinking for them. And that's whether it's just, they're not shooting well or, they're running into an absolute mutant that is Dylan Ward that elevates his game in the big moments. But I, I, I totally agree with you. I think there is no denying that Dane Smith has been their best player in these two games, but they need more from the secondary scoring. Yes. Dane Smith has to be the best player on the floor. It's simple as that. He doesn't have Josh Byrne there to pick up any slack, but in game one, we saw Ian McKay score seven points. Yeah. We saw Kyle Buchanan chip in with, what did he have, six assists? Yeah. We saw Dogan Anico. I think you, you can let him off the hook. He yeah, showed up. I, he's been games. unbelievable, man. He's, he's showed been up. the second best guy consistently in these last two games. No, no denying that. I mean, he's one of the players, one of the few players they're getting to the soft areas of the floor and you're seeing it because he's scoring in those areas, but didn't see much from Cloutier uh, in that game. Brad McCauley had a few chances on the doorsteps early on. And, and you wonder what happens if one of those sink yeah, chase okay. Fraser certainly didn't look like the same player, but also it's very clear that he is battling something playing on one leg. Uh, because it was night and day what we said. And he was even limping in game one, but I think yeah. because of the short turnaround, he was just too banged up. Maybe the week off might help. Maybe he looks a little more dangerous, but there there just needs to be more from the rest of the group. There is certainly, that has to be the case. And whether it is John Tavares mixing things up, going with different looks, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but all I know is sometimes in these big games, you just have to have guys break through. And that's what they didn't get. Even though they still put up 10, they Mm -hmm. still put up 10. So it's not like the offense was trash, but they just needed more. And they're going to need more in game one because all the momentum in the world is with Colorado right now. There's a 13 point difference between Dane with his 40 points and then Kluche with 27, then Byrne 26, Buchanan 21, Dehoga 20. And then when you look at the Mammoth, it's only four points between Leeser and McLaughlin, and then three points between him and Zed, and then two points between him and Connor. So, you know, the, they're spreading the ball more and they're not relying on just one guy. You know, Wardle chipping in, Gibby's got a few, Kinnear's chipping in. So they're getting a little bit more consistent scoring throughout everybody. But that's not to say, like you said, that's not to say that Buffalo isn't. They've just sort of been skewed in those first three games because they were so lopsided. And and now first game is a one-goal game, could have gone either way. Game two, they lose by six. But as you mentioned, a couple bounces here and there, things could have been different. I think, and again, I said this on – Black Flash with Tino this week. It's one game. It's 60 minutes. You have to find a way to forget every single thing that has happened leading up to that point. All the shots you've missed, the chances you could have had, the checks you should have made, the saves you should have made, whatever. It all gets thrown out the window. It is literally one game. History shouldn't 
play a part in any of this. It's the strongest minded folks and players that have the ability to block out all the noise that will have the ability to rise above and find that championship moment. And I'm very interested to see how these teams play out and how this game plays out because strongest will and the strongest minds will come out on top at the end of the day tomorrow. And I think it's we, the fact that we haven't even mentioned it. I, I think it, it kind of goes to show, I mean, it's obviously important, but I think you and I believe that we're not going to see that lack of composure that we saw in game two, because I yeah. truly believe up until what was that? The, with like two minutes left when Nana Coke took a penalty and then Priolo, you know, whizzes a ball. Yeah. Um, out yeah Wardle. Wardle. Like that, that was the turning point for me. Um, that's when everything really started to roll downhill. And I think that was, what was it? 12, seven at, at that point. And yeah. a 12, seven games, nothing for the Buffalo bandits. But from that point on, they score on the two-man advantage. And then that's when the parade to the penalty box kind of rolled into that fourth quarter. And you could tell it, it was over. Yeah. But on Coast to Coast this week, discipline was used by, by Kyle Buchanan. And the word discipline didn't just mean taking penalties. And I thought that was really fascinating. He said, we need to be disciplined, of course. We, we absolutely have to keep our composure can't be taking penalties especially the one so far away from the net but we have to be disciplined in our principles we we have to stick to our systems we have to stick to what was working we have to be disciplined in fighting for loose balls getting down getting in reverse transition you know the discipline overall needs to be better and he said that i found that very fascinating and I, I should come, it should come as no surprise considering the veteran and, and the great team guy that Kyle Buchanan is, but I can assure you that message has been sent well across yeah. that team and it's been received and they know they need discipline throughout their lineup. Yeah. It's like I said, it's not, it's not just discipline in penalties. It's all facets of the game. And that was sort of one of the things that Andy McBride talked to us about pregame when we saw him game two, you know, we asked him any changes. He's like, no, not really. We just got to be better at a few things. Our one-on-one matchups, better on loose balls, making better decisions in transition. That's all disciplined things. Mm-hmm. And they made those adjustments and they were that much more disciplined. And as that game went on, I think Buffalo just started getting frustrated. Nothing was falling. Dylan Ward was saving everything. Everything Colorado was shooting at the net was finding its way past Vino. And it just got to the point where everything compounded one onto the other and they were throwing balls away, and they were missing assignments. It was just everything. It was a calamity of errors as that game slowly went on. Like the the Ryan Lee backhander, you mentioned it. Not just it was poor communication in the two-man game, there was no backside help, and that's just not Buffalo at all. And that's just because Colorado took them out of their comfort zone and away from their defensive game plan, and it just allowed them to be that much more successful. So I think that's why the adjustments that – Coyle and or Tavares are going to make heading into this game three are, are going to be so imperative. What do you think for the bandits is the most important thing to adjust? I think for defensively, I, I think it's, of course there's, there's no denying like it, it's tough to get away from your systems, but you know, them 
packing it in so much. Uh, It's, it kind of with, with Colorado spreading them out off ball and trying to spread them out so much. And it just seemed like so many times guys were getting lost off ball. Like Ryan Lee would just sneak in back door. And again, I know it's so tough because you want to be sloughed in and and you, you want to be there for backside support, but it almost seemed like there was just too many lost assignments. So I think I, I would love to see them, kind of play more like what we saw against Toronto. Be aggressive yeah. out on ball, but still have that backside support and still be in tight, still pack it in, have your crease guys off ball, still on top of Vino there, but keep that head on a swivel. Again, that's discipline, right? That's mm-hmm. discipline to your systems. When you're getting out, uh, you know, uncomfortable, go back to what your principles are. And I felt like the Bandits defense – from pretty much like that second quarter halfway through were uncomfortable and didn't get to playing, you know, like they were. And again, I don't know if that was, Oh, they're spreading us out. We can't pack it in. So we got to, so I don't know if it was there, they were making adjustments to what they were doing or it was, they were kind of completely thrown off that that's at least the way I see it. So I think you can't just get away from what was working, but at the same time, you got to make an adjustment. I think I would like to see, that more of that system, that hybrid system that they were running against Toronto, because Toronto had all sorts of fits of it, mm-hmm. uh, and you and you had a little bit of blend. What about your what? What's what's the one adjustment for Buffalo that you'd like to see? I, I agree that I think they need I think they need to be more aggressive as much as they pack it in. I agree. Like look what Calgary did to Colorado, sort of in Game Two, that really frustrated. They obviously made the adjustments to Game Three, but. They were pressing all the way out to the boards on Zed and Ryan Lee and literally eliminating them from the offense as much as they could and just said, okay, make your lefties beat us. I don't know if Call or if Buffalo needs to go to that extent. Yeah. But I truly believe that the way Matt Vince plays, sitting so deep in his net, extending your defense kind of goes against that. Mm-hmm. And that's how Vino wants them to play. He wants more bodies packed in so shooting lanes are tighter so that when the ball does get to him, it's probably gone off a couple or, or he's seeing it late. And I think that's the unfortunate thing with how he plays is he sees the ball super late, so he has to react late. Mm-hmm. And there's times where that late reaction costs him because these shooters are just too lethal. So. I think they need to do a better job of extending, getting out on hands. They can't allow Zed and Lee and C-Rob and Eli wind up from the outside. I, I, but I do believe – I said I believe a lot in that sentence um, – <laughs> that the way Colorado was playing, like we said, really took Buffalo out of their comfort zone. They didn't know what to do. So if they're going to have success, they're going to have to pick up guys early. They're going to have to extend. They're going to have to be out on hands and they're just going to have to rely on their, their, their help defense being there. They're going to have to rely on Matt Vince making 45, 50 saves because Colorado will just continue to pick them apart. But offensively for Buffalo, I I think you need to be a little bit more aggressive. You got to find that fine line of what picks you can set and what picks you can't set. You have to be pushing that envelope and really try and extend out guys and push them off their lanes and off their angles so you can create better two-on-one matchups. You can get inside on Dylan Ward, get him moving, take advantage 
of that high arc, find different shooting lanes and passing lanes. And, and it's not a whole lot of tinkering. Like I'm not going to tell Dane Smith how to play offense. The guy's way too good. I'm terrible. I, I'm brutal. It's not my MO, but just from a standpoint of watching, you can see that they have not found those extra passing angles for their skip passes that will catch Dylan Ward off the back side or way too high in his arc, like we've seen some other teams. When was the last time you saw a clean behind the net dunk um, because Wardle was way at the top of his arc? So I don't think Buffalo has to change too much. I think they just need to be a little more aggressive on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think that's that's perfect because, I, again, I, I feel like if you start doing – if you start getting with, you know, way too many adjustments and you get away from what has been working all season long, that's when you get in trouble. So I'm curious – you know, I, I I believe that, especially defensively, that was more, more of them kind of being panicked and, and uncomfortable rather than trying to adjust because – Again, they just played right into Colorado's hand. And and look how good they were defensively in, in game one. Like, I think they can get back to that. Um, I yeah. totally agree offensively, though. Um, it's easier said than done because Colorado does a really good job getting in those lanes and yeah. picking off passes. But, you know, the patented Bucky sneak behind the net on his wrong side, catch, boom, in the back of the net from a, yeah. from a, a pass from Dane. Um, you know, really using Ian McKay's athleticism to attack the middle of the floor, continuing to feed Tog and Anacoke, uh, you know, and, and allow him to use his size and speed to get guys underneath and crash the net. Again, things that they have been doing at times during this series, but just, it needs to be consistent, needs to be aggressive, like you said, and the discipline's got to be there. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, my thumbs down is going to step away from the National Lacrosse League for a minute. And as much as I love the Canadian Lacrosse Association, I will always be a fan of it. I will always go and support the Shamrocks and call games, etc. But if we are a amateur league, and we all know there are guys that get paychecks, but we have to find a way that a team can't just hide a Jeff Teat on their holdout roster until the end of the year in the Man Cup, and then all of a sudden he comes onto the roster and is playing. It happened with the Victoria Shamrocks back in 2003. Caleb Toth was out all year long. He never played a single game, but he was part of the Shamrocks protected list, holdout list, whatever it was. And when it came to Man Cup, they were able to just put him on their roster. This year, as it's coming through the transfer wires, it all looks like Jeff Teat is going has been transferred to the Langley Thunder. And they just continue to load up the wagon in hopes of breaking the Eastern's, Eastern's dominance over the West in the Man Cup. And Langley is an absolute wagon with everybody they have. But Jeff Teat will not play a single game for the Langley Thunder because he's committed to the PLL and the Atlas. But if they make it to the Man Cup and the Atlas are out or done, he will be able to hop on a plane, come west, put on a Thunder jersey, and start playing. It's the Mark Stone. It's the the guy that was in Tampa Bay. Um, it's those scenarios where they just can hide guys. 
and then all of a sudden bring him onto the roster at the end of the year. I just, if it's a playoff game in league, out West, I think it's four games. Ontario might be like six or something like that, that a guy has to play to qualify for the playoff. But once you get to the Man Cup, because it's a CLA event, as long as they're on your 30 or 35 or 40-man roster of holdouts and all that, you can put anybody onto your Man Cup roster. I just absolutely hate that because at the end of the day, it'll take a roster spot away from somebody that's been there all year long. And I would love for the CLA to put some sort of caveat in that you have to play X amount of games in the regular season and or the playoffs before you can step into a man cup roster. I just think it's stupid. I think it's unnecessary. And at that point in time, it just takes away from the amateur side of our game because we know those guys are all still getting paid. You know, it's, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see Jeff T compete for a man cup. That'd be awesome. But you're you're totally right. When you say the point that it's going to take away another spot of a guy that's been with that team, that's grinded, that's put in the work. And then now all of a sudden they're, they're sitting and yeah, sure. They're going to still be a, a, you know, an important part to that man cup team, but they're probably going to be watching from the stands uh, and not be a part out there battling for that championship. And I get it. There've been other cases where guys have been on the IR and, you know, they've been out and then finally they get healthy for the man cup or get healthy for playoffs. And then they're activated and they're ready to go. I have no problem with that. Meaning we, we absolutely 100% know that's not the case for Jeff T because he's going to be playing the Piala. Yeah. Again, I still like it. I don't like it either, but I also don't blame these teams for doing it because yeah. it's a loophole. Yeah, absolutely. It's, do I, I don't do blame I, them. Yeah, exactly. But you're right. It comes down to the CLA. Yeah. And it comes down to the CLA. And, and, and if this, I mean, I think we're going to get to a point very soon where we're not going to really see many of these pros play um, summer ball. Jamie Dowick this week, I was a guest on, uh, on uh, lax class and and Jamie Dowick brought up a great point. He would love to see that, you know, and I mean, if you're, if you're interested in this theme, go, go listen to that pod because he had some, some pretty good takes about how things are run in in summer ball and his opinions on some things. But he said like, you know, as soon as you play three years in the NLL, you're no longer deemed eligible. Mm-hmm. Because let's be honest, a rookie that plays one year or gets in and out of the lineup or, you know, makes it one season and then gets, you know, cut, it's not fair for those guys because, yeah. a lot, as you've seen multiple times over the years, this is where a lot of these young guys hone their craft and, and get better. But a guy that's been in the league, in, you know, five, six, seven, 10, 15 when we get to a point where these guys are almost full-time professionals, I, I do think it's maybe time to to try to get back to what this was and it was an amateur league uh, and get back to that. And maybe, maybe we won't see some of these outlandish moves because um, you know, we're not even out of, we're just into June and you could probably almost write into your calendar that, it's going to be Langley versus either Six Nations or Peterborough. And you yeah. probably could have done that <laughs> before the first games in March. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Um, again, you can't blame Langley or other teams that have been doing it for, 
for doing it because it is a loophole. I just, I just don't like the loophole. Um, what's your, and, what? Oh, and yeah. I will say with that being said, Jeff Teats and the man cub, I'm going to thoroughly oh. enjoy watching. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Enjoy as soon as I heard that news, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yep. That's going to draw a lot of fans into that building. There are going to be a lot of people wanting to watch that. So yeah. uh, that's my thumbs down. Do you have a thumbs down, sir? Uh, you know what? I, I think your thumbs down was so great and it's finals week. So let's, let's leave with that um, for our individual thumbs. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change that. Um, no, let's just go right to thumbs up. Let's go to thumbs up. Let's keep the vibes high. Let's keep thumbs the vibes up. high. What's your thumbs up? My thumbs up are to the two local uh, stations in Denver and in Buffalo that are picking up the games on nice. linear television. Um, let me pull this up here. This is good podcasting. Well, while you're pulling it up, it was awesome to see John Gertler, Steve Bermel, and Dave Buchanan doing Buffalo radio in Colorado. I know Andy Lindhall did local radio for game two in Colorado as well. So um, there are multiple ways for fans to catch the action, whether it's on TSN, ESPN, or the radio. But now locally, as Pat is Googling and looking it up, uh, more opportunities for fans to watch because the game isn't on linear ESPN. It's only on ESPN plus in the state. So this is huge for local fans. Altitude, obviously I knew that one in Denver, but CW 23 in Buffalo W N L O will be picking up the game. So if you're North of the border, you'll get it on TSN. If you're in Buffalo, Denver, you can check those two out or, you know, you can still log in to ESPN plus check that out. And then also in TSN, you can, uh, you can pick up that as well. So awesome, awesome, awesome to see that. Uh, Cause I do know a lot of people were a little bit bummed after yeah. game one and game two were on ESPN two. Now game three, unfortunately just with the way the schedule worked for ESPN, um, the, they were not able to find a time slot. Um, but some local folks are going to be able to watch the games, which is awesome. Um, my thumbs up is uh, Tyler Garrison back in the national Cross league. Um, he's been out for the past few years in and out uh, of lineups and rosters with injuries and with the injury to, uh, Josh Sullivan to the Colorado mammoth, they've really relied on Tyler Garrison to bring another dynamic of, of speed and aggressiveness and tenacity, but it's just such a great story. Like I remember TG coming out of the Coquitlam junior program, you know, with the likes of beers and church and. Uh, the Cornwall brothers and Berg and, and all these guys. And, and he was bound to be a superstar. And he was with the Van, uh, the Washington Stealth uh, for the first few years. Um, spent some time, bounced around the NLL. And then again, injuries caught up to him and work caught up to him. And he hasn't really been able to find his way back in. But I just love these stories of guys' determination to stick with it and to be patient and not to force it themselves back and to find the right spot for themselves. And obviously he's got a very close relationship with Pat Coyle being a Coquitlam guy, but I'm just so thrilled to see him back in the national Cross league. He's in incredible shape. Um, it looks like he's been playing year after year. He's a steady, solid defender. And I think it's been a nice little addition to the mammoth lineup with the loss of Sully, uh, but just thumbs up to seeing Tyler Garrison back in the National Lacrosse League, healthy and competing at a high level. 
hard to argue that one. It, it is great to see a lot of these guys. Um, and again, that, that goes to show you some of the importance of summer ball and yeah. of guys, um, you know, other, other outlets. This also goes to show that, that I think we're close, like 16 teams is perfect because it's very evident that there are a lot of guys in the pool yeah. um, that could step in and, and play in the national lacrosse league. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, all right, that's thumbs up, thumbs down. What are our friends at CoolBet doing? Let's dive in and find out. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> all right, Patty, Box Bets time. And uh, we went hard last week with uh, the NCAA finals that were on. My my super-duper big bet parlay didn't quite pan out, but it was close. They wouldn't have called Duke in the crease. I would have been rolling. But nonetheless, uh, a fantastic weekend in the NCAAs. But now we are full-on NLL parlay, OTCB, box bets, in your face, our friends over at CoolBet.com have all the lines. Uh, and, of course, on game day, more lines will come out on player props and all that stuff. But definitely some juice here. So, f- full disclosure, we have not built a parlay yet. So, I figure let's do it live. Let's let's go through. Let's leave the NLL for last day because I think that's obviously the big game of the week. Let's yeah. start in the WLA. So, I'll give you some options here. This is your domain. We've got... Sure. We won't pick the game tonight, obviously, because yeah. it'll give it'll give folks more time. So we'll, we can either go with tomorrow night's game, Langley taking on Nanaimo. Langley is minus 200. The Timberland, Timberman are plus 160. You can get Nanaimo at plus uh, one and a half at minus 104, or the Thunder at minus one and a half at minus 116. The total, 22 and a half. Can also go to the Sunday game. Nanaimo's playing again. This time they're headed to Maple Ridge to take on the Berards. Uh, Nanaimo is a minus 185 favorite. Maple Ridge is plus 150. Um, and the spread in that game is actually two and a half, and the total is uh, 20 and a half. Anything of those two games stick out to you? Yeah, I, I just can't not play the Langley Thunder game. Um, so I am going to take uh, over 22 and a half at minus 110. All right. I like that play. Langley's a wagon. And Nanaimo, obviously some young players on that one there. I'll pick the PLL game here. Give it to me. Got some, got some, some options. Redwoods, Atlas, Atlas, big favorite, minus 238. Uh, Two-point spread in that one. Cannons, Archers. Archer is even bigger of a favorite at minus 333. The total on that one is 23 and a half. Chaos, Water Dogs. uh, Both teams missing some uh, significant players. Uh, Chaos are a underdog of uh, plus 165. Water Dogs minus 205. The total 24 and a half. And then Chrome, Whip Snakes. Which snakes minus 175, the chrome plus 143. 
I'm going to go. You know what? This Archers team is is really good this year. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to score a lot of goals. Um, let's keep the theme up here with totals. I'm going to take the over uh, 23 and a half. All right. All right. So then we got Bandits, Mammoth, Bandits, plus, sorry, minus 167, the favorite at home. Mammoth plus 138 on the money line as the underdog. Got multiple options on the overs ranging from 21 and a half to 23 and a half. And then the handicaps go from minus one and a half up to plus two and a half. How are we feeling? So I feel like we got to play the total. I mean, we're just doing a total game, total weekend. I feel like we got to, then that also lets me off the hook on the broadcast. <laughs> All right. I'm okay with that. Where are you leaning? Are you leaning that it's going to be a you know a high scoring game, or, or are we going to see something a little more similar to Game One, where both goalies and defenses step up here? Well, even Game Two was only sixteen goals, right? Very or, sorry, true. twenty was that twenty six goals? Because twenty six goals, yeah. Um, I'm leaning lower. Me too. So, I, I let's let's do this. Let's buy the points. It's still going to be a good number. We'll go under 23 and a half at minus 133. You put all three of those together. Langley, Nanaimo, under 22 and a half. Cannons Archers, over 23 and a half. No, no, Langley, Langley, over. Yes, over, yes, over 22 and a half. Over 23 and a half, Cannons Archers, under 23 and a half, Mammoth Bandits. Put that all together. Plus 538 before the boost. Probably around six. That? I'd say it's safe to say we'll get that number at six. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. That's a good number. Let's like do it. I like. All right, six. we're locking. We're locking it in. But don't forget, uh, there are still multiple different tabs you can select when you're over. You can take the bandits to win and the over to hit at twenty two and a half for plus one ninety. The mammoth to win and it to go under twenty two and a half at plus three forty. Uh, you can bet halftime scores. Um, and then, of course, again, like we said, on game day, there'll be a lot of player props out there. And I'm sure there'll be some interesting ones on guys like Zed and Dane and Dehoga uh, and Ryan Lee. So make sure tomorrow morning when you wake up, maybe you're listening to this now on Saturday morning, it's game day. Head over to our friends at CoolBet.com. Hit that lacrosse tab. All the things will be there. NLL, PLL, WLA. Play along. Build your own parlays. Have some fun. And if it is your first time, when you uh, log in and you register, use promo code OTCB and we'll give you a little help along the way. Anything else coming from the Cool Bet people? How are your memorial lines doing? Um, I, You know what? I actually, because I was driving to Buffalo, hadn't checked the leaderboard. I know before I left, Hideki was close to the top. I know he had a share of the lead. Where is he now? Decky, let's go. Minus. Let's go. <laughs> All right. He's one off. He's one off. Saw. Okay. This is good. All right. I, I took Hideki. He's one of my outrights. The others were uh, Sahit Takala, who I don't yeah. think is anywhere close, and Vic Hovland. Where are, are you? Oh, you're a little bit too far down there. Okay. That's all right. It's fine. We got Decky. We got Decky. You going to live bet on Sunday if Rory's in contention? Oh God, I, 
No, I think Rory's saving his good stuff to next week at the Canadian Open. He loves playing playing the That's Canadian good. Open. Are you going to be last year. Are you gonna uh, I think I I think I'll be making it either on the Thursday or the Friday round. Uh, yes. We're in uh, we're in Ottawa next week for the IHEAD, so we'll yeah. be there Saturday Sunday. But I honestly feel as much as Saturday Sunday is is maybe the better golf um, because it's you know the guys who are in contention and there's pressure and anticipation all that. Thursday, Fridays are my most favorite times to go to terms because there are so many guys you can hop around and watch. And, yeah. and you know, whether you want to just sit at a hole, uh, my all, my recommendation is always either follow a group for four or five holes and hop around or find a spot where you can sit between multiple holes and watch a couple greens and maybe a tee box or two tee boxes and a couple of greens. Like, so you can kind of be seeing a whole bunch of action all at once and you're not just kind of walking with the group. So if you ever do go to a, a PGA event or LPGA or Corn Ferry or CPGA event, whatever it may be, walk around with a few groups for a while, hop back and forth, crisscross the, the golf course, watch a few different holes. But if you can, find a spot where you can get a nice little perch to watch a few different vantage points of a few different holes um, because there's just so much more action going on than just kind of walking around. Plus, you can sit back, relax, have a couple cold ones. Oh, yeah. Plus, stronger. Stronger. Agree. Thursday, Friday is good. Not nearly as packed usually. Like, yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Sunday following the fall, like the final group, oh. that would be a lot of fun, um, especially you got some big names in contention. But Thursday, Friday, definitely the veteran play. You got a lot more room to walk around. And, and like you said, there's so many other groups out there. It's You can spend the whole day there and see so many different players. Of course, you can do all your fine tuning on your lines over at our friends at coolbet.com. And as we always say, stay cool. Bet responsibly. Uh, the Victoria Shamrocks have added Corey Conway to their roster for yes, uh, the summer. Awesome to see Seaway back. He was uh, saw him a few times out with the senior B Shamrocks, chucking the ball around. Didn't really know if he was going to fully commit, but uh, he out, was out taking warm up with the Shamrocks home opener last week. And this week they announced that they've signed him uh, to a card. So awesome to see number 91 back in the green and white. He's one of my all time favorite players and just an all time incredible person. Um, so awesome to see that. Brad Cree uh, has been traded. Uh, where did he end up? Did he go to the Burrow? Six Nay. Six Nay. Six Nay. Right, from, from Oakville. So uh, Six Nay is definitely bolstering their lineup out, out east. So um, just don't fret. We talked about it last week, even though my thumbs down was at the end of the NLL season. And this is now officially the end of the NLL season with one game to go on Saturday. There is a ton of lacrosse in all markets across Canada uh, this summer and in a dozen or so markets in the U.S. with the PLL traveling around. Um, it is going to be an awesome summer of lacrosse. So if you can get to an arena, whether you know someone playing or not, go support the junior teams, the A's, the B's, the senior A, the senior E, because it's not just the top of the top that need your support and that's the best lacrosse. There is some unbelievable cross, lacrosse in those lower levels, and those guys need as much fan support as anybody else. 100%. Get out to an arena. Support. Buy a 50-50 ticket. Do whatever you can because, again, I know some of these teams, there is no denying. They've got deep pockets. They've got great support um, from the community, from sponsors. But there are a lot of them that uh, have 
uh, it's community owned or it's independently owned by one person and they're putting a lot of time, effort, money into it. And uh, a lot of volunteers, they didn't have their support. Uh, the team would not be able to function. So do what you can. Don't complain about having to pay to get in or, or whatever it may be. Go support and you're going to watch some great lacrosse while you're at it. And some of those guys are future NLL stars in the making as it is. Well, Pat's got some work to do. He's got a dinner to get to. He's got some schmoozing to do, some calls to make. So we're going to end a little short this week. But next week, we will have someone from the championship winning team from blank. And we'll also effort the commissioner, Brett Frude, to get a conversation on what is going on for the summer in the National Lacrosse League. Because not only is it a big summer for a lot of teams in the offseason, it's a very important summer for the NLL as a whole. He's Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter, at P. Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. The show at OTCB underscore podcast or on the Instas at OTCB podcast. Patrick, any final words? Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. It's going to be great. It is is going to be unbelievable. Deja Vu part two, Bandits Mammoth game three for the NLL finals who wins it we'll all find out on tsn espn plus altitude and the c-dub in buffalo until we speak again stay safe and be excellent to each other i am an outlaw